It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Build-Up. The San Jose Sharks enter today. Still looking at a bit of a climb ahead of them in the wild card standings, which is where we start. Sharks 22, 22 and 5 on the year, 49 points, and they are 10 points back of LA who occupy the second wild card spot and also eight points back of Anaheim. So, you know, we look at these two teams in their own division. They're staring up at in terms of the wild cards, occupying the three and the two. We're also looking up at Vancouver, another one in there. So, you know, the Sharks have their work cut out for them. Obviously, the acquisition of Ryan Zingle hopefully helps them out on offense. We'll get more into that in a few minutes. But right now, I want to bring in Dan Wood, radio color commentator for the Anaheim Ducks. Dan, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Ted. Uh, how about you? Uh, you know, I am doing very well. Excited to see these teams play. You know, it's been something I've been wanting to see. We all know that the you know, the schedules are, you know, they're idiosyncratic from year to year. And I feel like this year has uh, been more of an example of that than maybe ever before. But, uh, you know, it's finally finally happening with the Sharks and the Ducks and so I'm, I'm excited to see this matchup so you know wh why don't you bring Sharks fans up to speed on the Ducks who are you know looking at more that than um, you know the name Zegris just popping up on SportsCenter every night well the Ducks have had a, a pretty good year to this point they've definitely exceeded expectations uh, the first half of the year uh, was really good. One of the keys to that was the fact that they didn't have any injuries or absences uh, from their top five defensemen. And when those top five guys are all in the lineup at the same time, the Ducks are a much better team. Then we had uh, some injuries here and there, some COVID-related absences. Uh, the Ducks got hit really hard by the COVID protocol after Christmas. And that kind of helped bring them back to earth. And since then, it's kind of been a struggle to try to get back to where they were earlier in the season. At the same time, you have other teams that are playing much better now as the season ramps up, and that's usually the case. So the Ducks are just trying to keep up. And whether they're going to be able to do that, uh, time will tell. There was a bounce back with a nice win um, against... Vancouver and you know what what does that have you thinking about tonight's game well honestly it has me thinking was it just a one-night blip or are the Ducks really on to something and I'm somewhat skeptical because the biggest problem for the Ducks uh, the last month or so has been their team defensive play it has been not uh, not good enough and the goaltenders have been pushed far too hard the Ducks have been overly reliant on John Gibson, even when they went on an Eastern road swing late last month and went 3-0-2, that was not indicative of their play. That was largely John Gibson getting them many of those points. So 
you know, as mentioned earlier, when any of their top five D are out, it hurts them. And Josh Manson is out and will remain out for a while. So when that happens, uh, you know, the Ducks struggle because they simply don't have the depth on defense that you'd like to have. And, uh, you know, in, even in Vancouver, the Ducks jumped out to a big lead, but they were a little shaky defensively, almost let the Canucks get back in the game. So, uh, you know, we'll see how they play tonight against San Jose, which I know the Sharks aren't scoring a ton of goals necessarily, but they still have some guys who can hurt you. So from a Ducks perspective, you'd like to see them go out and uh, be sound in front of their own net. We'll see whether that happens. In terms of what you look for beyond the defense, you know, because obviously if you give up more goals than the opposition, it's not going to go well for you. But, you know, what do you look for in, in a game that's telling you if the Ducks are playing their game? Because for the Sharks, you know, for them, it is more often than not been getting an early goal and then seeing if they can use their defense. And, you know, for the Sharks, it's been when they haven't gotten jumped early by by teams like, you know, Pittsburgh or Boston or Tampa, they've actually done a pretty good job of staying in games. But lately, they've fallen behind 2 nothing, 2 nothing and three, nothing. So we know that if the sharks can get out to an early lead, it seems like it's going to be a more competitive and game that sticks to their kind of um, design. Is, is there anything like that that you look at and you see with, with Anaheim right now? I think Ted, it's similar really. Um, and probably similar with most teams in the NHL. I know the ducks, they've scored first 31 times this season out of 52 games. They are among the leaders in the NHL in that category. In fact, they are tied for fifth in the league for, you know, scoring first the most times. Uh, that hasn't been as frequent of late as it had been earlier in the season. But the Ducks are not a great come-from-behind team either. So certainly, you know, getting that first goal, establishing things early in the game is critically important. And the Ducks were able to do that in Vancouver. They started their fourth line. Uh, the fourth line had a great shift. They scored on their next shift. And then, uh, you know, two, three minutes later, the fourth line came back again and scored a goal. And so they really took control against Vancouver early. And uh, that has not happened a lot lately. So that's a good thing to watch for tonight is, you know, which team can win that first period and kind of establish itself uh, early on. You were talking at the beginning of the year of, you know, being – unclear of how you know the, the ducks were going to be and you know obviously you alluded to it being not not a best case scenario but the team stayed healthy um in, in terms of some of the younger guys playing up to their schedule or maybe ahead of schedule you know did that maturation happen pretty quickly with guys maybe faster than you thought it would to where you maybe thought they were after last year versus where things are now I suppose so, if you look at it that way. I mean, certainly Troy Terry has had a breakout season and, you know, has become a legitimate scoring threat. Um, a guy who gets overlooked a lot is Isaac Lundestrom, who is having a tremendous season. You know, the Ducks drafted Lundestrom the same year the Sharks drafted Ryan Merkley. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time, a lot of uh, analysts thought, that, you know, the Ducks had taken the safe route there, that Lundestrom was going to be an NHL player, but not necessarily and probably not a high-end player, whereas Ryan Merkley was more of a home run swing. And I guess 
you know, time will tell how that plays out. But Lundestrom, I think, has surprised some people. He has become the defense first center that everyone envisioned, with the exception of not being particularly strong on faceoffs. Uh, you know, for his age, he's an outstanding defensive center. You'll probably see him tonight a lot against, uh, you know, Meyer and Hurdle. Mm -hmm. um, but what he's done is Isaac Lundestrom, despite not getting any power play time, is he's scored 12 goals, four of those shorthanded. He's tied for the league lead in shorthanded goals. And he's displayed a much higher uh, offensive upside than I think most people anticipated. So the Ducks are really excited to see, you know, what Isaac Lundestrom's ceiling might be. Then, of course, you have Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale that everyone knows about. Mm -hmm. um, there's been some inconsistency there with both of them, but that's not unexpected for young players. Uh, with Trevor Zegras, do not take your eyes off him if he's in the offensive zone because he has the ability to just take your breath away. And it's not only with, you know, lacrosse-style plays, but just his ability to hold the puck, carry the puck, his vision. Uh, he's a joy to watch. So those are the really encouraging things. You have some other younger players who haven't come along as quickly. Sam Steele has uh, made some strides, but I don't think nearly as quickly as the organization would have hoped. Max Comtois is in a real funk after leading the team in goals and in scoring last season. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's just had a really difficult year. So, you know, where all that will go, we'll have to wait and see. But all in all, I think the Ducks have to be pretty pleased with their group of young players and how they have progressed. Is has there been um, have there been raised expectations among the fan base considering now that people see some of the potential with this team? Probably. Uh, if you would have said prior to the season that the Ducks would have the record they do and be where they are in the standings right now. I think anyone who follows this team would have been overjoyed, but because the Ducks got off to a good start and, you know, were high in the standings partially as a result of the fact that they had played more games than everybody else and still have, you know, then you have fans who maybe don't really understand the rebuilding process that well. And, you know, they're starting to express a little bit of disappointment because they're seeing the Ducks fall down in the standings. And, you know, of course, everyone would love to see their team make the playoffs. But, you know, I'm not so sure that's the most important thing for the Ducks this year. You know, if you sneak into the playoffs and you finish, say, as the second wild card and you go up against Colorado in the first round and get smoked, mm -hmm. how much is that really worth? Yeah, you get a couple of home game gate revenues, but... I think the bigger picture is what's going to be happening next season and beyond. And I think with a new general manager now in Pat Verbeek, I think that's kind of a blessing because he's not, um, you know, as invested to the present as maybe a, a longtime general manager would be. I think his vision is definitely long-term. And for that reason, uh, it's hard to say what's going to happen between now and the trade deadline. You know, the Ducks have three very key uh, guys who stand to become unrestricted free agents, Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm, and Ricard Raquel. You know, can you possibly trade those guys if you're still in the playoff race? 
But on the other hand, can you possibly hang on to them if you don't think you can resign them? Yeah. I don't think you can. I think you have to move those guys if you don't resign them before the trade deadline. And I believe from what he's told us, that's the same way Pat Verbeek feels. So the Ducks could be sitting in or close to a playoff spot come uh, the trade deadline and move some key people as hard as that might be to imagine. It's very interesting just to hear the the different perceptions people have on the Ducks right now than the Sharks, even though Anaheim only has two more wins than San Jose. And that's not, I'm not trying to take anything away from Anaheim uh, in any capacity because, you know, 57 points in the standings don't happen by accident. But I mean, just with the Sharks lately, it's a six game um, winless slide currently. They have not been scoring. They have, you know, been, they've been having trouble. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Tomas Hurdle and his future. But even though, you know, I've heard the talk about Anaheim, but it just seems like with the Sharks, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion, even though these teams are maybe closer in the standings than it otherwise um, that you'd immediately think about. Well, maybe part of that, Ted, might have to do with, uh, you know, the fact that the Ducks really did embrace a rebuild Mm. Uh, more fully and sooner than maybe has occurred in San Jose. You know, I, I can't speak to the expectations of the fan base in the Bay Area, but I think Ducks fans have, for the most part, understood, especially after the past three very difficult seasons, that they were going to have to endure some growing pains and the turnaround wasn't going to happen overnight. And having seen the progress the guys have made this season, I think, you know, there's some legitimate excitement there, even if they miss the playoffs this year, feeling like, you know, in the coming year or two, they can get back to where they really are a legitimate playoff contender. And, you know, looking from the outside in, my sense on what's gone on in San Jose is maybe they haven't really delineated a clear path and, you know, maybe that has something to do with the different mindsets uh, as far as people who follow these two clubs. What, what are your perceptions more beyond the, you know, the, where the Sharks are in terms of reset versus rebuild, but more in terms of, you know, what, what they've been able to do this year? I mean, there are a lot of people who thought they would be at the bottom of the, you know, the wildcard standings and the bottom of the uh, division. Uh, but, you know, they've mostly remained, you know, in the hunt right now they are, you know, 10 points back of LA, but you know, that's, that's a quick hot streak away from being right back in it. And we all know that teams get hot and get cold. And certainly, you know, what Calgary's done lately has been phenomenal and they've come surging past everyone and Edmonton's coming back to life. But I think a lot of our preconceived notions, I mean, there were a lot of people who told me, Dan, that, oh yeah, you know, Anaheim, LA and San Jose at the bottom of the division, you know, the orders just might be, you know, one way or another, but that clearly hasn't been the case. Yeah, I think that was the general consensus was that the three California teams and obviously an expansion team in Seattle would likely bring up the rear in the division. And I suppose it could still work out that way, although the Kings, to me, are looking uh, pretty good, like they're going to stay in the race. And I think there's a, a pretty important difference with the Kings compared to the Ducks and the Sharks in the sense that, you know, L.A. went out and got a couple of uh, veteran guys. In fact, actually three, although one of them's been hurt much of the year. 
But Philip Deneau and Victor Arvidsson, you know, those are proven veteran guys. And the Kings felt like last summer was the time to make that move and bring in some veteran help. The Ducks certainly didn't do that. And the Sharks really didn't either. So, uh, you know, in my mind, the Kings should be a little farther ahead than the Ducks or the Sharks in terms of a rebuild. Um, you know, as far as the, the Sharks and the Ducks go, I would frankly be surprised if either of them were able to reach the playoffs. And I say that because I think, you know, the way NHL seasons work is the intensity, the competitiveness, everything just ramps up as the season goes along. And you see teams like Calgary and even Edmonton and some others that have raised the level of their play. Although I say Edmonton and I'm still not sure what to make of the Oilers, but <laughs> no one you, you have to be able to get better as you go. You know, you're not going to be able to win games in February uh, with the same level of play that you could win games in November. And I know the Ducks haven't met that challenge. And I, from what I can tell, I don't think the Sharks have either. So unless the Ducks and or the Sharks are able to really uh, raise their game here quickly, I think it's going to be tough for them to hang in with the teams that are, you know, battling near the top of the division and or in the wild card race. It'll be an interesting one tonight. Dan, I appreciate your time as always. It's always a pleasure. Enjoy the game. Have a great call and we'll talk soon. All right. That sounds great, Ted. Thank you for having me and hello to everyone in the Bay Area. I miss it. Again, that was the radio color commentator for the Anaheim Ducks, Dan Wood, joining us here on the buildup. Uh, I mentioned earlier the acquisition of Ryan Zingle earlier today. Sharks head coach Bob Bugner talked about what he hopes Zingle can bring to the Sharks lineup. Yeah, he's got a good shot. That's one of his, uh, you know, one of his things. That's one of his strengths. I think that uh, um, you know he's produced in different uh, in different organizations, and I think that uh, yeah, he can help us. I think he can help us. Uh, you know, even with Cooch, hopefully, be a little bit of more of a more of a threat there. And uh, um, you know, and I to be honest with you, I haven't watched him play in a while. Um, you know, I've watched him over the years, of course, but uh, um, for him, it's getting comfortable with our systems tonight. We've already had that talk this morning and, and getting comfortable with his teammates. And, um, you know, who knows what, what we'll see there tonight. But I, I like the fact that we've got a guy who's a veteran, been in a lot of different situations, and, and he's put the puck in the back of the net. And that's paramount for the Sharks right now. They have not put a puck in the back of the net in the first period of any of their three games since returning from the break. Uh, they fell behind 2-0, 2-0, and 3-0 in the games to Edmonton, Vancouver, and Vegas. And right now, it's simply a matter of them finding any sort of offensive rhythm that they can build upon. Because honestly, you know, the defense hasn't been that bad. They gave up three before an empty netter to Vegas. Um, you know, they fought their way back in the game against Vancouver. Yeah, Edmonton jumped on them, you know, 2-0, and it was still two going into the third, which I think is... Not a bad place to be, assuming, of course, that you have any offense. And too often, whether it was the game against Edmonton or the game against Vegas, the Sharks' offense just wasn't there. And a big part of that simply is not taking advantage of the opportunities. The Sharks have to strike when they have those opportunities. And there's really no other way to look at it. Unless they can find the back of the net, they are not going to find themselves in a good position. Now, I know that's relatively obvious because you need to score to win. But, I mean, they are just... They're not good enough to where they can, you know, effort their way into wins. It's like they've got to bury it. They've got to take every chance they can get because otherwise it's it's just not going to come. And I think it's very evident to see that at this point because I haven't, I certainly have not seen evidence to the contrary. The Sharks 
need to get an early goal if they want to win this game and they need to capitalize upon their chances because that's that's the difference. The defense, goaltending, I feel like for the most part as of late that's been there. It is the offense which has not. But that wraps it up for this edition of The Build-Up. Be sure to join me tomorrow morning on Morning Tide when we reflect on the game against the Ducks. Hopefully the Sharks will have been able to snap their six-game streak without a win. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.